0: This is Disrupting Recruitment, a podcast focused on moving recruitment from a reactive to a proactive state. We talk to experts as well as recruitment marketers living it day to day to learn how to improve inbound as well as outbound and other recruitment marketing strategies. And it all starts now. All right. And here we are uh, with another episode of Disrupting Recruitment. So if you listen to our last episode, we talked to uh, Kim at Refine Labs, and uh, we talked a lot about employees having a voice and having uh, personal brands. And uh, when I think of personal brands, first person that always comes to mind is uh, Will Aiken. And so you're probably thinking, why do we have a salesperson on a recruitment podcast? Because recruitment and sales go head and head. Welcome. To Disrupting Recruitment, Will, it's great to have you here today. It's freaking awesome to be here,
1: Brad. Thank you.
0: I appreciate you being willing to chat about uh, recruitment and sales and personal brands. So why don't you, for the, all the HR people out there that maybe have not seen all of your cool sales videos, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself yeah. and, and then we'll get into some of your experience in building personal brands.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, right now I work more in marketing and sales, so I did a little transition there based on what had happened with my personal brand. So right now I work as a sales evangelist, the Salesfeed, which sits on the marketing team. It's a media brand for salespeople. So my full-time job is creating content all the time for salespeople. Before that, I was working at a software company called Proposify, which is really where I started harnessing my personal brand and creating content for social media. And then even before that, I was actually a recruiter myself. And oh boy, do I wish that I had been doing this, what I do now when I was a recruiter, because I can only just see double the impact, candidates, clients, I was agency side. It would have really helped, my, at least I hypothesize.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's crazy. I don't know why recruiters aren't doing this more. It's so powerful. So tell me a little bit about your time as a recruiter and some of the challenges that you you saw and to dive into that comment a little bit about you wish you were doing this when you were a recruiter.
1: Yeah. So I, I was a recruiter back in 2000 and. 18 for a, a, just under two years. And it was, this was in Australia. I'm originally from the UK, but I moved to Australia. That's where I met my wife who brought me to Canada. But while I was in Australia, I worked as a recruiter as a lot of folks who moved there from the UK do, and I was agency side, I was brought in as a trainee recruiter and oh man, the job recruitment was challenging. Honestly, I found it more hard, more difficult than sales. I don't think I could ever go back to recruitment because it's like sales, but there's two customers at any time you're trying to manage. You're trying to sell a product that changes its mind all the time and does silly things like goes and gets counter offers or interviews at six companies at the same time it's so unpredictable and that meant that i was just constantly trying to have to organize everything and i really felt a lack of control probably because i wasn't that good at recruitment so recruitment was fun it was a great way to cut my teeth and get used to talking to clients and i would say recruitment external at least is very tied to sales because i would bring on my own clients i was building a candidate pipeline I was cold calling people. And when I got out of recruitment, I used that experience to jump into roles and accounting executive online through Canada because of the fact that I've been prospecting my clients and the, the process of working with candidates and, and, and putting them through the steps, very similar to how a, a software accounting executive manages their pipeline, really heavily relying on process. And when I said that I wish I had been creating content as a recruiter, I probably didn't have the expertise or know-how to make good content at that point in time. When I look at the folks who are successful on LinkedIn, there are three main buckets of content that really perform well on LinkedIn. Number one is sales content. LinkedIn is from salespeople. Second one is marketing content. LinkedIn is full of marketers. And the third is recruitment. One of the main reasons people use LinkedIn because they want to find a job or they're looking to hire someone. So that type of content really resonates and it would help you both gain credibility of a candidate pool and potentially attract new clients, especially if you're working in within. A recruitment niche. Uh, Let's say you're recruiting sales. Amy Vola is a really good example. of a look to a massive personal brand by talking about jobs and how you should handle your process and what the market looks like right now for the boys. Yeah,
0: it's even I find internal. You are still managing those two clients because... You're trying to manage the candidates, but you're also trying to manage the hiring managers, which is sometimes even more difficult than managing a a client on the agency side. Yeah. I've done both. And when you're managing a client on the agency side, it's, believe it or not, actually a little easier to be a little more forceful because they're coming to you as an expert. But when you're internal, sometimes the hiring managers try to dictate a little more. Yeah. So it's definitely difficult. So. Tell me a little bit about your transition then from recruitment back into sales and how that happened and, and how your experience in recruitment may have helped you or even hindered you in that process.
1: Yeah. First of all, I just want to comment on what you said that dealing with hiring managers who have expectations through the roof that the budget doesn't quite allow the expectations that they have. That's pretty much what sales is. It's just managing expectations. So definitely it's parallel to make internal folks there. Uh, when there isn't money being exchanged So my transition from recruitment to, to sales was quite a, a purposeful one i when i was recruiting i i specifically specialized on running a desk just for recruiting sales in the, in 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 sydney australia and while being exposed to these software salespeople, i realized how much money these we folks were making and let's be honest that was so attractive i was talking to people when i was calling people going hey i've got this role that pays 200k OTE you interested? And they're like, no, that's not a big package. I'd call them and say, hey, I've got a competitive package for you. I'd tell them $200,000 OTE and they'd say, that's not competitive. I'm like, whoa! I have a recent graduate. I was thinking, that's not competitive. That's more money than I can even fathom. So I knew when I moved to US, uh, Canada, should I say North America, there was opportunity. However, I moved to the middle of nowhere in 2019. So this was long before remote work. Quite bit so I had to get lucky and kind of get an accounting system, which be working for a company called HR.com, uh, which is a big media brand in the HR space, list this, but I was selling to tech, HR tech vendors, selling the webinars, selling them event sponsorships, ads even. So it was really not software where I wanted to be, but it was software adjacent because I was being exposed as market. I was going to HR tech. Shurem, ATD, all the big conferences. And I knew I wanted to get the software, but I also didn't want to jump around too much, especially not when I just landed in North America. So I stuck out for two years and that's when I fucking broke into software.
0: Yeah. And I've been talking a lot lately about recruitment and how that is very similar to like SaaS sales and Chris Walker, Refine Labs talks about sort of the SDRs or like how that Model is dying, but I don't know how much it's it really is, but like there's this talk going on now about inbound versus outbound and it, it's just new terminology, using old terminology saying the same thing, but, and I equate that to when you're doing as an AE or an SDR in, in, in SaaS or any sales organization, you, you really need two sides. You need your marketing qualified leads and your sales qualified leads. And if you don't have both, you're you're fighting an uphill battle and you're not going to survive. And I really would like to see recruiters adopt more of that model. And I don't think, I I think some companies are doing it. I don't think it's being done enough. But if you have like that sort of SDR and, and AE relationship, having been in SaaS now, how would you equate that to recruitment? And if you were building a recruitment department, how would you throw that model in there?
1: So to me, the equivalent of an SDR in recruitment would probably be more of like a talent saucer. Maybe someone who doesn't directly work with the hiring managers, but does work with working with, with the candidates at least, reaching out to them, giving them job briefs, seeing their interests before bringing them into the pipe to the final, let's say. I would say similar to, to SDRing, I would probably have those folks also doing a bit of nurturing. Although Knight might not be right for one role, there's going to be probably another one in two weeks time that they might be. So I think the marketing principles and the sales principles can be applied to that for sure. Personally, as an account executive, I, I was a full cycle at AE and I quite like that model, someone who both builds pipeline for themselves, prospects, then brings the, the customer in, works them through their process, does discovery, does the demo, close the deal, potentially even manages the deal afterwards, I think that's a much better angle for a recruiter because there's this disconnect. And if you can't give candidates all the questions and this answers to their questions in this market, and they're gonna get frustrated the same way a client would get frustrated if they hop on a call with an SDR and they want, they have 10 questions and the SDR can only answer one. That's not a good client experience. So you wouldn't wanna replicate that as a candidate experience. How much does a role play? I can't tell you yet until you talk to my my senior recruiter. That's going to annoy someone, but like, you know what? I've got 10 recruiters popping in my inbox every single day. Get I don't on. have time for this shit. Yeah. come on. What are you doing? Especially if you're doing anything higher than like mid-level roles, people haven't got time to talk to someone who can't give them all the answers. What's the role pay? What are they looking for? What's their responsibilities? So I would say, I, if I was building a recruitment team, I would avoid that model altogether. I feel like it may take a little bit more time. You may have to do a lot more work and activity, but it's right to make sure that if you're going to reach out to someone that you're ready to have the full conversation rather than just screen them, because I know that frustrates a lot of buyers as well when they have to go request a demo on a site, they hit a button and SDR calls them for 15 minutes and and ask them questions to qualify them. They're like, what are you doing? I want to buy your stuff. Show me the, the thing and, and, and yeah. through my questions. Instead, you're like asking me, am I the decision maker? When am I making a purchase? All those things, that, that really frustrates buyers. And I think that would apply to candidates as well. So yeah, yeah I'd avoid it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. You're right. So let's get into the heart of what I wanted to talk to you about. Let's talk about personal brands. As a Proposify customer, I follow along with with Proposify and their brand. And in that process, I came across some of your content. And uh, I'll be honest, I found it very entertaining. And I love your videos and definitely still follow you, still watch what you put out. So tell me a little bit about, because I know Proposify is where you started doing that. So why did you, what was the decision there or why did you decide to do it? How did you uh, go about getting started? Yeah, one thing to say is this is an original, this
1: personal brand isn't an original idea. This is a lot of people are doing this a lot longer than I have, a lot better than oh, I sure. have as well. And I always saw those people and then beat them a little bit. Think even Chris Walker, people with these huge personal brands you can see that people trust them, believe them. And that's definitely gonna be impacting the bottom line of their business. I wasn't really thinking that much about that when I did it, but I always looked at those people and thought, They're, that's inspiring. I wouldn't mind doing that. And then one day I went onto LinkedIn and I made a post and it really took off. And for weeks afterwards, it was a post about, I, I'd been cold calling that day. And I got an email from someone saying, you've called me like 20 times. Stop calling me. You're annoying. Please remove me from your list. And I was, it really, it really got to me because I was like, I haven't even called them that many times and being in sales, you have to have a strong mindset, but it really got to me that day. And then an hour later, someone else messaged me saying, Hey, you reached out to me a bunch last quarter. I wasn't looking to buy at the time, but now I'm really interested in getting a demo from you. And I, I just posted those two screenshots right next to each other an hour and they came up an hour apart. I was like, they were both in the same sequence. The messaging was pretty much the same. And one person got annoyed by it, but one person loved it. You got to keep powering through. Don't let the people who are upset get you down. There's people you're providing value to. And that post got like 800 likes on LinkedIn. I was never posting. It just randomly took off. And from that, my conversations with both customers, they were saying, well, I loved your post this week. And I was thinking, crikey, the people I'm talking to in my pipeline are seeing this stuff and they're coming back to me and they know me a little bit better. They like me a little bit more. I I've almost nurtured them while I've not even been on a call with them. And then a lot of people from that actually requested, especially me saying, love your post. I'd love a demo proposal. I was like, there's something here." So I left that for a little bit, and then I figured out that I was making these TikToks on the side, which is something that I was doing as a hobby. And I started posting on LinkedIn, and they really resonated. People found them hilarious. And I thought, I'm not that experienced with sales. I'm not like the expert. I can make people laugh and entertain them for the same effect. So I just doubled down on that, and then pretty much posted every single day from April of 2021 until now, and now here I am. And it, it built a lot of pipeline for me, it, built, it meant that a lot of customers, I, I probably attribute several sales just to posting on LinkedIn, if not more, because the ones that came inbound, I spoke to them, I have a of them a discovery for whatever it may be. And then a week would go by until we got the demo pool and they come back. I'm like, I saw three of your videos. You're funny, man. You agree at that. I'm thinking these people like me more now and I'm pretty sure my competitor isn't doing this. So it really did impact the amount of uh, pipeline I generated. And that's why I kept doing it, and then eventually I got a new whole new it.
0: Yeah, and so the interesting side of it is, like, some people in, in HR are afraid to let their employees get out and have a voice like that because they're afraid that's going to happen—that this person's going to get out and and the world's going to see how great they are, yeah—and and somebody's going to come and poach them and. So my philosophy is instead of worrying about them leaving, worry about giving them a reason to stay. And so what would you say to recruiters around there that are listening to last episode where we talked about this? Now this episode where we're talking about this going, geez, I'm just afraid that I'm going to lose my will because he's really funny and really likable. And if I let him have a voice, somebody's going to come along and grab him. I
1: think it's important to remember, like you've got to enable that. You got to make people feel that, that, that you were letting them do that. I would have stayed at Proposify had they acknowledged that I was doing all these great things and maybe give me some more responsibility than paid me for the fact that I was helping the business. They, when I did decide to leave, I'm not sure if I should probably say this, but I will anyway, they counted me and said, we'll just give you that role here. But it was too little too late. If you do see someone doing this and having a huge impact on the business, jump on that, say you're doing great, recognize their awesome work, and then you won't lose them. Because as long as you're treating them better than anyone else could, then no one else is going to take them. I 100% would have stayed a proposal if They had to said, Hey, you're doing this. Great. We want you to do this more and more. And we're going to give you a pay raise and a title bump. I wouldn't have even took the recall from my now boss title, but it, that double the fact that it didn't happen. And the fact that I asked for a promotion and didn't get one, despite all the great work I was doing and hit my numbers as a sales rep. I then got a message from, I was saying no to a lot of recruiters, a lot of people reaching out to me, but I was happy. I didn't get what I wanted. I acted like a toddler, I will admit. I was like, well, if you're not going to promote me and recognize all this extra stuff I'm doing for the company, then I will take the first call, I to took pilot. I now boss some sales feed. And I was like, wow, this role is incredible. That door wouldn't have been opened in the first place if I had have felt really enabled by the company. They had to double down on my personal brand and see how to buy that brand. And in the end they did try to do that, but it was too little, too late. So if you've got someone on your team who's doing this, don't be afraid of it. Big them up, help them be bigger. Make them be your like George Clooney's you on Nespresso, right? Like you have struck gold. You've got someone on your team who's willing to big up your company online. Wow. That's a whole other marketing channel you've just unlocked.
0: Yeah. It, we talked with Nathan Jefferson yeah. early on. Sherwin Williams had a guy that was doing some stuff in his garage on the weekends and he had Sherwin Williams stuff all over the place. And they they sacked him because they didn't want him to be putting out content off brand. And like, this guy is like promoting your business for free. Hmm. <laughs> Take it. But you're right. If a person is showing this initiative and and going out of the way to promote the company, promote themselves and the product. And even if they're not even talking about the product, if they're putting out good content and people are are jumping on it, you got to recognize that and reward it. And if you're waiting until somebody comes with an offer and then trying to present a counter offer, it's too late. It there's a lot of danger in accepting a counteroffer and there's lots of stats on that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think you're right. Like you just, you got to give a person a reason to stay. Encourage them to go out and do that and give them a reason to stay. And uh I I think if you look at Refine labs that like they have all kinds of people doing content and they're, they're not worried about people leaving. If people, somebody leaves, it's great. We had to, and we got a lot out of it while you were here. And we wish you well, the days of. Somebody being at a company for 25 years and getting the Rolex are gone. So harness it while you can and and learn from it. Somebody who's thinking about, okay, all right, I'll give this a shot. How fucking hard can it be? How, what would you say to somebody who's thinking about building content out there and how they get started in that? Does it take you five hours to produce a video to put it out there? Or
1: Yeah. One thing I want to say is not everyone has to make videos because that is like... Why make it that hard for yourself? It's, it's hard enough to start putting content out there. You feel like an imposter anyway. If you then have to put yourself on camera and edit a video that requires extra skills and is even worse because it's horrible listening back to yourself on video. Um, it is, it really is right. So don't make it hard for yourself. Don't be like, I'm going to be like, I'm going to go make feature length movies and TikToks and whatnot. That's hard. That's making it hard for yourself. So don't feel like you have to do that unless you really want to. Most people who create on LinkedIn. Just write text posts, sometimes memes, sometimes GIFs, sometimes images and screenshots of messages they've received from their customers or candidates. My biggest recommendation would first be take baby steps before you start trying to create, and I'm talking about LinkedIn mostly here because that's the network most of us are part of, but you could apply this to Instagram or Twitter or other platforms, start by commenting, start by getting involved in other conversations because you're going to feel like less of an imposter. And you're going to start seeing engagement. You're going to start being part of the community, and people are going to start recognizing your name. And if you do that and big up other people, then when they see that you post, they're going to be more likely to say, Oh, that's interesting. This person, this person comments on my post a lot. I wonder what they have to say. So I would start by engaging with others as a baby step. And then once you've done that and built some confidence, I would then start thinking about, okay, what do I, what have I experienced that can be valuable to other people? And the way I do this is, I just keep a journal of pretty much everything that ever happens to me. Whenever something interesting, whenever I learn something, whenever I have a light bulb moment, whenever I have a story that made me feel so, let's say a customer chews me out on the phone, I'll write that down right there and then, then I can come back to that and use that as inspiration to create a wider story that's going to provide value to people who may not have had that experience yet. So I'd be thinking about it like that. How can you provide value to other people? Even how can you entertain them as well? That's a big part of what I do. Thinking of things that are relatable, which is why I still write things down. When someone chooses me, I'm like, "This would make a great TikTok, right?" I write that <laughs> right there and then. So, create create a journal, and then and then from that, you can then use that to inspire posts. And then you really have to just stick it out there and keep doing that. And the first few probably won't get any likes, but to me, that's okay because you don't get good at something by not doing it or by thinking about it too much. You sometimes just need to take the plunge and start start. Um, and the good thing is, a lot of people feel imposterish when they put stuff online because like. What if it only gets two likes? And this is valuable to loads of people. If I've only got two likes, I assure you, not that many people saw it. So don't even worry. Move on. No one's, no okay. one's thinking about it going, wow, that was a really awful post three days later.
0: Victim of the algorithm. Yeah.
1: If, if you've got very little engagement, then it's very unlikely many people saw it. So don't really overthink about making bad content. It's pretty hard to make bad content. The only thing you want to do is make sure you're not being offensive or hurting anyone. That's the one thing you want to think about. But beyond that, just stick it out there. And you're going to get better at writing. You're going to get better at story and tell the stories. Then you're going to get better at story and tell the stories. You're going to start noting, oh, this post is better than that post. Why is that? And then lean into what's working. Make more of that. And then repeat steps A to C over and over again until you have 100,000 followers and a candidate pipeline that's so full that you will never have to worry about uh, cold cooling through your ATS again. <laughs>
0: people actually cool call through the ATS. I find it's funny because I'm going to go back to one of the things you said, and then I'll, I'll mention that. But so I agree with you a hundred percent. Like the easiest way to start is commenting on other people's posts. And I still do that. I'm putting out a lot of content, but I still, my favorite go-to is commenting on other people's activity in their posts because I, especially in recruitment or sales, like you're building a connection with your audience by providing value to something that clearly matters to them. If they've taken the time to post on social media, if you engage with that, you're giving them content or you're giving them value and you're giving their post further reach. And so when you're doing that, you're actually helping them. And so when you're caught, con- when you're putting out content that matters to you or that you like, You hope that it resonates with other people and if you typically it does, but I I agree that putting that uh, just putting that out there is the way to go. And so the other part that the ATS thing is, I don't believe that people are actually searching their ATS as much as they should. And if you think about it as a salesperson, if you, if marketing brought you a thousand leads Mm. and said, here are a bunch of leads from this campaign that we just ran, and you called some people and you got like 10 customers out of it. And then you took the other 900 and threw them away Hmm. and never talked to them again. Like that relationship just wouldn't work. Marketing would lose their job, sales would lose their job, but recruiters do it all the time. Hmm. They talk to candidates, they throw them in the ATS. Oh, this candidate was good, but we decided to go with somebody else. Six months, 12 months from now, Two years from now, you never know where that candidate's going to be, what they're going to be doing, and that's a lost relationship. Man, you got to be nurturing those people. Mm -hmm. So, what? Let's let's think about how you're attracting people with with your personal brand and and what you're doing. And you're right; you're not. It's been around a long time, but we're really starting to see it come to the forefront. I think people are doing it more and more. If how would how would you say that would help? recruitment and talent attraction for somebody to get out there and have somebody from their company like it doesn't even have to be the recruiter I don't think more power to you and even better if you're using the recruiter but if I'm hiring a bunch of developers or if I'm hiring a you know mark if I'm in a marketing department and I'm hiring I want my CMO talking about this stuff because I don't know as much about it but what's your thoughts on like how does that how would that help attract quality candidates
1: like at this point in this podcast, we've spoken about Refined Labs three times. Yeah. <laughs> like that's exactly how. Because now a lot of people who work in the marketing space, if Refined Labs reached out to them and said, hey, I've got a job for you, they'd be much more likely to take that call. Because then if you describe Refined Labs without that, it's, like, oh, it's a 50-person B2B marketing agency essentially, which doesn't sound that great. But when you think about the fact that it's got all these, these heavy hitters now working there, Todd, Chris, others, um, <laughs> whose names are escaping me right now, um, it, it, Oh, there's tons yeah, of to them. Yeah. Helps massively with, with attracting candidates and credibility as well. But if you're a recruiter, even who's posting about the field that you're recruiting, then that's credibility. One of the best recruiters in my office, when I was recruiting with an agency, he used to do these meetups and what he would do was bring put about two, he, he specifically was like a C plus So I'm going to pretend to understand what all that means, but, he recruited devs, and he used to do these meetups where he'd bring two hundred people together, and he'd get up on stage and say something, and they'd all suddenly know who Matt is. LinkedIn's a really easy way to do that without having to put two hundred people in a room, because if you post on on LinkedIn, two hundred people are definitely going to see it, right? So it's essentially standing up on stage and building relationships with the masses, which is going to give you credibility and make it easier to reach out to them. Which is why it helped for sales, but it could definitely help for recruitment too. If you're working in niche recruitment, especially if you specifically only recruit marketing and sales. And starts up talking talk about marketing and sales, but even then, like everyone can relate to job search, everyone can relate to a, a, an interviewing practice best practices. So that content could even bring out uh, you to a wider audience if you're talking about what you feel in the market. You people over underestimate how much they know that others don't. On a day day to day basis, you're probably doing something very unique to you that someone else has never even done. And if, even if you think about it from the context of, hey, what do I know now that I didn't know two years ago? That's a great way to think of content and educate someone who's you two years ago or someone who doesn't even know anything about your space but wants to learn more. Not only do salespeople follow me, but small business owners follow me who want to learn sales and uh, want to get tips from me. So there are people who even might not be within who you're trying to reach, who you're going to bring value to, and that's only going to help you um, bring awareness to you as a recruiter to your company and if your cmo has got a brand as well then people going to want to work under them it happens all the time
0: let's and it's funny we keep going back to refine labs and this is like <laughs> episode six i think and we've talked about refined labs in five of them and we had refined labs on one episode well, but my own yeah company
1: some more should know, more than Refine. <laughs> 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 like
0: they're
1: gonna get some SEO it
0: so, but yeah no it's like uh, and i said it to. Kim, when we were talking last week, it's if I'm in marketing, I want to friggin' work with Chris. And if I'm in sales, I'd want to work with, with you because we're alike. Like we both like to entertain. We both like to joke. We both like to. And so people like to work with somebody that they're like, They they work with people that are similar to them. Mm. And I think we, I, I want to see recruitment focus more on lifestyle and I'm a big fan of jobs to be done. I don't know if you've ever heard of jobs to be done, but jobs to be done is essentially it's what are we, this is good for, this is good content for you, for your, for your, your, for your new role, Um, talking a lot about jobs to be done and whatnot, but. It goes to the saying, I don't buy a quarter-inch drill because I want a quarter-inch drill. I buy a quarter-inch drill because I want a quarter-inch hole. And Seth Godin even goes farther and say, they don't want a hole. They want to hang a picture on the wall. Yeah. Or they don't want a picture on the wall. They want that emotional feeling that they see every time they see that picture. Right. So what are they hiring? What is a person hiring that product to do? And we need to think about that in recruitment. What are they hiring our company to do? Yeah. Because we're not like we always think we're hiring the candidate, but the candidate is hiring us too. And it's not to, I'm not picking this company because I get to write code at this company because I can write code anywhere. So what is it that this company is going to do for me? And maybe for you, it was this new opportunity is going to encourage me for being me. It's going to encourage me for building this brand and it's going to encourage me for doing this. And so there's that emotional side of it. And we really need to, Uh, I think as recruiters harness that and stop selling jobs based on features and benefits really. Like we talk about what are the requirements of of the job and so much job advertising is done in text as opposed to you would never sell a car that way. You don't sell a car by text. You don't sell a car by calling up somebody sitting at their desk and saying, Hey, Will, listen, we got a sale on cameras. You should come buy one. so we need to get into that. What do they want? What do they want from us? Yeah. What do the candidates want from us in terms of lifestyle and in terms of how we can help them grow. And I think if you can figure that out for your company, it's going to be different for every company and start getting content out there based on that. And it doesn't have to be, like you said, it doesn't have to be videos. For me, it's this podcast. I'm doing this podcast to help educate the market on different strategies and recruitment, but at the same time, I'm learning. I wanna learn along the way from talking to people like you and Nathan Jefferson and some other guests that we have coming up. But it's really important to get that out there and it could be a blog, it could be commenting on other people's posts, it could be just written LinkedIn posts. It doesn't have to be video, it doesn't have to be a podcast, doesn't have to be a blog, and it doesn't have to be good. Like, it doesn't have to be polished. You don't need to have, if you do video, you don't have to have cinema production quality. Like, you just, like, I have people that I follow that walk around with their phone in front of their face, walking down the street, recording a video, and, and it's good content.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: So, I
1: appreciate you taking some time. You told me something as well just now, like, the amount of parallels between... What you've just described as the sales and marketing mentality to customers. You don't talk about features and benefits. You talk about the emotional impact for them. So it's really interesting to think about that from a canto perspective as well. Thank you.
0: Oh, I think it's huge. I think we need to get into that so deeply. It's, it drives me crazy. Like
1: it happens in sales as well. People feature dump. Did someone call the other day? Uh, I don't know. It's an splitter. You you just feature dump. You feature F someone and they tune out, right? You did. No one cares about how many how fast your drill goes they want to know about the picture like you said really good example yeah that should be a late post it should be yeah. all right
0: <laughs> all right thanks man it was great having you and i look forward to more of your content because it usually gives me a chuckle
1: and i look forward to more of yours Brad. thanks so much for having me on all right we'll talk
0: soon Cheers.